And in the 80s here, you have Bangladesh still among the African countries there, but not Bangladesh, it's a miracle that happens in the 80s. The imams start to promote family planning and they move up into that corner. And in 90s, we have the terrible HIV epidemic that takes down the life expectancy of the African countries and all the rest of the world moves up into the corner where we have long lives and small family and we have a completely new world. We did this software which displays it like this. Every bubble here is a country. The, this country over here is, um, uh, this is uh, China. And this is India. The size of the bubble is the population. And on this axis here, I put fertility rate. Because my students, what they said when they looked upon the world, and I asked them, what do you really think about the world? Huh? Well, I first discovered that the textbook was Tintin mainly. Huh? <laughs> And they said, the world is still we and them. And we is Western world, and them is third world. And what do you mean with Western world? I said, well, that's long life in small family. And third world is short life in large family. So this is what I could display here. I put fertility rate here, number of children per woman, one, two, three, four, up to about eight children per woman. We have very good data since 1962, 1960 about, on the size of families in all countries. The error margin is narrow. Here I put life expectancy at birth, from 30 years in some countries up to about 70 years. And 1962, there was really a group of countries here that was industrialized countries, and they had small families and long lives. And these were the developing countries. They had large families and they had relatively short lives. Now, what has happened since 1962? We want to see the change. Are the students right? It's still two types of countries. Or have these developing countries got smaller families and they live here? Or have they got longer lives and live up there? Let's see, we start the world. And this is all UN statistic that has been available. Here we go. Can you see there? It's China, they're moving against better health. They're improving there. All the green Latin American countries, they are moving towards smaller families. Your yellow ones here are the Arabic countries and they get larger families, but they, no, longer lives, but not larger families. The Africans are the green down here, they still remain here. This is India, Indonesia is moving on pretty fast. And in the 80s here, you have Bangladesh still among the African countries there, but not Bangladesh, it's a miracle that happens in the 80s. The imams start to promote family planning and they move up into that corner. And in 90s, we have the terrible HIV epidemic that takes down the life expectancy of the African countries and all the rest of the world moves up into the corner where we have long lives and small family and we have a completely new world. Wow. Hey, Moritz. <laughs> hey, Enrico. Yeah. That was due, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Hans Rosling and uh, his famous first TED Talk. And uh, we almost fell 
felt obliged to organize some sort of tribute to him, right? Yeah, unfortunately, he passed away on February 7. And uh, yeah, he was one of the most uh, influential figures for data visualization, especially in, in promoting statistics to people who thought they might not be interested in statistics and <laughs> data visualization. And yeah, he was just an amazing person. So we dedicate one episode to him and try to look back a bit what he achieved and uh, have a few commentaries from other people as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to say that in organizing this, this uh, episode, uh, I mean, when, when I heard of his death, I was, um, really sad. I'm still very sad, but then me and you, we've been playing his, uh, his talks, right. To prepare the episode and he made us laugh all the time. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. he had this incredible ability of let people laugh with statistics and talking about extremely serious and important events yeah. and, uh, and giving a positive message. So that's, that's really, I don't know. Fantastic contribution. Yeah, and he, he was a great like storyteller and he really knew how to engage people. But also I really appreciate his points were often quite complex or quite nuanced. Yeah. You know, it's it's not that he was reinforcing stereotypes about not the world or like yeah. you know, like making things look simple, which are not simple. <laughs> yeah. Actually, quite to the contrary, he convinced us quite often that things are a bit more complicated than they look. Yeah. 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 Or that we might think we know that there's a first world and a third world. And in fact, there's a continuum, right? Yeah. Yeah. And these are pretty powerful thoughts. And he, he really demonstrated these, yeah, complex ideas with data, but in such an exciting and engaging way that everybody <laughs> was immediately hooked. You know, it's like you listen to him for 10 seconds and you, you want to know, like, yeah, how will this end? Like, what, what is he doing there? Yeah, who's this crazy guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. He, he made it possible to expose in, a, in an incredible way the big gap between what intuitions about reality and, and reality, right? Yeah. And there are all sorts of gaps like this out there. And uh, I, I think it's it's still such a strong message and it's going to be very strong for, for many years, right? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. so important. And of course, I think he had so much influence on everyone in visualization. And uh, I don't know, that he had lots of influence on me. Uh, I'm sure he had influence on you and, and, and every, everyone else in the field. Right? Uh, absolutely. And uh, uh, there's millions of people, I think, who, <laughs> yeah. who got excited about statistics just by watching him. And I yeah. think it's... His influence cannot be underestimated. He's also like he was mostly a professor for statistics and uh, but also health, and so he was a physician, was, a yeah. trained physician, yeah. practicing physician as well yeah. uh, at Karolinska Institute. Uh, and uh, what also many people I think don't really know is that he helped develop or developed the Trendalyzer software that yep. was later acquired by Google, and he basically also kicked off a whole public data movement, let's say, at Google. And uh, the fact that a lot of uh, public data sets are now available and, and really uh, documented well is, I think, also can be attributed to him. You can find a lot of these activities on his Gapminder website. And also these activities will go on. Um, I think his family and and yeah, a larger circle of people will will continue these activities. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's important to mention that he also he was helped a lot by his son Ola and uh, his daughter-in-law Anna. 
mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think they they were acting more b- behind the scenes, right? Sure. And it was more the the, the character, and uh, <laughs> I mean the way he managed to 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 play data. <laughs> that was yeah. as yeah. I said before. I mean he 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 makes me laugh, and he still is very serious, right? And invented a lot of different ways of communicating data right i mean originally with gap with uh, trendalyzer the software but then it kind of like became more uh, extreme right using objects of different types yeah. Uh, yeah. coming to a talk with a with a washing machine <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. he once swallowed us he swallowed a sword, like, swallowed on stage. A sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's also a fantastic one minute like or 50 second ted talk he gave with <laughs> Just with stones, we can briefly listen to that one, yeah. shall we? Shall we listen yeah, to that? Yeah, let's do yeah. that. Yeah, it's amazing. But you have to watch it on YouTube as well. Yeah. But here's the sound. X means unknown, but the world is pretty known. It's seven billion people. We have seven stones. One billion can save money to fly abroad on holiday every year. One billion can save money to keep a car or buy a car. And then three billion, they save money to be able to buy a a bicycle or perhaps a two-wheeler. And two billion, they are busy saving money to buy shoes. In the future, they will get richer. And these people will move over here. These people will move over here. We will have two billion more in the world like this. And the question is whether the rich people over there are prepared to be integrated in a world with 10 billion people. That was the shortest TED talk ever given. <laughs> Fantastic! Yeah, he was yeah. he was an amazing actor, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah I, I think my my big hope. I think this is something that Ola Rosling wrote uh, right after his death in a message. There are lots of potential Hans Roslings out there. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really hope that his example is going to inspire many, many, many more people. Also, in trying to do something similar and and. Uh, yeah, like kind of like get the role of of presenting data the same way or or other ways, right? That Hans Rosling did it because there there's such a big need of having this kind of people out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just to to celebrate his heritage, we we also asked a few other people to contribute short snippets to the show. Uh, we were not able to organize a big roundtable, but we have a few <laughs> uh, five short segments from yeah five friends of the show and and big admirers of his work. And uh, the first one is from Kim Rees from Periscopic, and uh, yeah, she tells us a bit about what Hans Rosling and his work meant to her and uh, Periscopic as a whole. So uh, let's listen to that one. Hi, this is Kim Reese from Periscopic. Uh, We were very saddened to hear about the passing of Hans Rosling. Uh, Like many data visualization firms, we've been inspired by his infectious enthusiasm for numbers and for his ability to communicate complexity using data. Uh, We've also benefited directly from Hans's work. In the very early years of Periscopic, it was quite an educational process to explain uh, the function and the importance of data visualization to potential clients. Uh, it can be very 
frustrating at times. Uh, and then one day we were surprised. We uh, were approached by a conservation biologist uh, to help him transform his research into a data visualization. And he told us that he had watched this TED Talk by a guy named Hans Rosling and asked us if we could make something like that. So it was pretty exciting. We were just thrilled that uh, Hans's talk had reached someone outside of the data viz world. Um, and so it was really exciting to hear that. And th- we got the project and uh, it really became our breakout work that put us on the map as a data viz firm. It was very much inspired by Hans's animated bubble chart. And we also really strive to communicate as clearly and succinctly as Hans might. So it was very inspirational to us. Um, and Hans has always been very influential to us as a firm, both as someone who is extremely passionate about data uh, and also as someone who is very passionate about making a positive change in the world. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, the, the passion is really what, you know, you could f- really feel his wholehearted passion about the topics he was talking about. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Kim's uh, comment reminds me, I was also once commissioned to remix one of his works, uh, which was interesting, <laughs> like in a magazine I remembered that. Yeah. format. Yeah, and... So it was the same data set as in the introductory talk, fertility and uh, life expectancy. Did you actually call it Hans Rosling remixed or something like that? I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's basically, yeah, yeah. It, it was an explicit commission to remix his uh-huh, work, yeah. like, you know, like a musical remix yeah. was kind of interesting. And so I was really thinking about how can I put these dynamic charts, so I had these bubble charts and everything's moving and the, especially the bubble charts with the trails, you yeah. know, I think that's, that was also quite unique and they look kind of insane. <laughs> they work really well when he's like working with them, yeah. but I didn't know how to reproduce that dynamism in in print and so but in the end i I made something that's very close actually yeah Yeah. so and it looked like a bit like sperm (laughs) so (laughs) i think think that was a good match for the topic (laughs) with the fertility and so on and yeah but it's i i think he really he had a few really iconic not just talks but also data visualizations that everybody remembers and yeah yeah uh, the animated bubbles are are one of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm pretty sure many benefited from the hans rosling's popularity he he had a huge impact also in popularizing viz in general right so yeah yeah absolutely i think along with edward tufty i think you know (laughs) probably half of the people in viz (laughs) will have encountered data visualization first through hans rosling or edward tufty i could imagine or or maybe even more Maybe even more. I agree. So, yeah, yeah uh, that's such a huge, um, huge influence. Yeah. Yeah. Next up is Andy Kirk, friend of the show, blogger, writer, and, uh, and teacher, educator, yeah. and teacher mostly. Yeah. <laughs> From uh, the UK. Let's let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Enrico and Moritz. This is Andy Kirk. Um, thanks ever so much for producing this richly deserved tribute episode to gather the memories and acknowledge the legacy of Professor Hans Rosling. Um, I won't claim to remember exactly when I first came across his work. It definitely would have been through his 2006 TED Talk, and it would definitely have been around 10 years ago, back in 2007. And it was back then when I first discovered visualisation as a, as a subject. 10 years on, and I still genuinely 
hugely enjoy watching that famous horse racing style commentary. Uh, I can almost recite word for word passages like, it's a miracle that happens in the 1980s. The imams start to promote family planning. Things like that just always, you know, just stuck with me. The the passion that he portrayed in that famous video that still brings me pleasure to watch it today. But the, the legacy for me of Professor Rosling's work is is actually told more through the impact I've seen and witnessed in, in other people. As somebody who spends a lot of time, uh, professional time, delivering training workshops and I guess in my capacity as the editor of visualisingdata.com, I'm fortunate to come into contact with lots of people who really kind of begin in their journey, their learning journey in this field. And I get lots of emails and have lots of chats with people who are genuinely sort of wide-eyed with excitement and enthusiasm about finer subjects or a pursuit or a discipline that, you know, really resonates with them and their sensibilities. And down the years, I can tell you, I've had so many discussions. I've had so many, I've met so many different people who have landed in this subject because of and thanks to Professor Rosling. And, you know, through his many celebrated talks, not just the TED Talk and different TV appearances, they've been a critical entry point for people discovering the subject. And it showed them that data, that stats, that communicating these things can be powerful, can be impactive and, and also fun. And his inescapable enthusiasm and genuine positivity about the world at large through these videos is really the kind of Trojan horse that helped and helps put visualisation into a much more sort of mainstream consciousness. And actually just 15 minutes ago, I genuinely received an email from a lady who'd been on to attend one of my recent workshops and she, she sent me a link to an article about Hans Rosling. You might know this mister and his work. I just discovered it and thought I'd share it. And that's kind of typical of a lot of these kind of entry points that people have with his work. Now, looking back, there's been times when I've received such emails with links to his work, with links to his videos, and people have come up to me with their laptops to show me a video. And actually, looking back, I've probably instinctively reacted with a little bit of contempt along the lines of, why are you sending me this? Of course I've seen this. Of course I know Hans Rosling. Of course everyone in visualisation knows about this guy already. But it's easy, easy to forget that others have not. It's easy to forget that we too were once in that position discovering with excitement what we'd seen him portray, these stats with the visualisations, with the commentaries. We also were excited. And it's easy to take these huge contributions, these huge milestones in the lineage of this subject for granted. So a huge thank you from me and on behalf of other people I've come across to Professor Hans Rosling. Um, your wonderful legacy will live long and... I want to just express best wishes to to your family and to all your friends. Thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we were just saying, right? It's like I mean, so many people got in contact with Biz through watching Hans Rosling, and uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I like about what Andy says is the, the timing that Hans Rosling had when when he was talking in his talks, right? The way he takes the right the right pauses and then in the pitches and then he <laughs> stops again a little bit. So that the timing was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah.
Almost like a musician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 A big data impresario. Yeah. yeah. And nobody has done it. Nobody has done it like this before. I think that's also people underestimate like how how mind blowing this was when people saw it for the first time because nobody ever presented stats like exactly. this. Exactly, right? it's, it's, it's a bit it's, like what Feynman did for physics. Or exactly, you know, it's exactly. Like <laughs> how thinking about these things or like talking about these things in such an unprecedented yeah. way, and I think that's 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 the big achievement here to just not not caring about how you normally talk about these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a performance, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. so I was talking the other day with a friend of mine. Uh, he's also a professor here than than with you, but he's at the Tisch School of Art and he actually teaches actors uh -huh. <laughs> and he's an actor himself. Right. I was like, did you ever right. see um, um, Hans Rosling's talk? And I was like, no. Do it, please do it now, and then <laughs> tell me, tell me what you think yeah. about it. I think that's that's a, such an yeah. interesting place, right, and space to explore yeah. data performance yeah. is yeah. something. Yeah. So, very good. Um, I think what do we have next? We have Robert Kosara, right? Yep, from Eager Eyes and Tableau Software. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, this is Robert Kosara. I still remember the first time I saw Hans Rosling's TED talk in 2006. This was before Twitter and before social media, certainly for me. And people were emailing this around and they were saying, look, you have to see this. You're interested in how to present data. You have to watch this guy. Just, just be fun and exciting and interesting with data and talking about the world using numbers. And, and I watched it several times that day and I was just blown away. I mean, this was somebody who clearly knew how to make data exciting and how to tell people about the world using data. And this was, this was really inspiring. I think this actually inspired a lot of work in data visualization and, and in a lot of, of journalism too. I know a lot of people, journalists who have said that they wouldn't be where they are right now if if they if they hadn't seen Rosling do do his presentation and and do it using data that they got interested in in doing this and and in trying to to do this themselves in in a way i think that what what Rosling did was and what Gapminder did which should we should of course always remember that this is not just Hans Rosling this is also his son Ola and and his daughter-in-law Anna that they also kind of continued the work that people like Otto Neurath had done many years before that, but that had really not been picked up at all in, in 50 or 60 years. So it's really exciting to see people wanting to, to inform the world or rather people about the world using numbers and using data and trying to dispel a lot of the myths that, that, that they're out there and that, that are untrue but they just stick around despite the data saying that, that they're not actually true anymore or that they never were true perhaps in the first place. So I think what I'm taking away from, from Rosling and from his work and, and his enthusiasm and his positive outlook is that this is possible, that we can, that we can inform the world, that we can hopefully change the world and that we can make the world a better place using numbers and using data if we do it right. Yeah. So I, I, I really relate deeply with what Robert said here, especially being a researcher and, and being in academia myself. So I, 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 I had a very similar experience when I, when I watched 
uh, Hans Rosling's talk for the first time and I discovered this work. I was like, oh my God, we in, in academia think that visualization is mostly about analysis, but look at these guys communicating information with stats and visualization. And it's so powerful, right? It's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 it's one of those things that in retrospect is so obvious, right? But back then for me, it was like, what is that? What? Oh, my. <laughs> what is he even doing? <laughs> yeah. And what am I doing? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. now you start comparing your work to his work. And it's like, this guy is incredibly impactful with, with this little bubble chart right 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 so right. Um, yeah i don't know i think that being so powerful with a little bubble chart is something that i clearly remember being um i don't know very surprising to me it's like look what a, what, mm -hmm. what a person can do with a single bubble chart right if you do it yeah. right so that that was that i don't know left a very strong impression on me yeah and this whole idea that presentation is part of data visualization yeah it was not that much discussed in 2006 right so no. this is something <laughs> it looks that silly academia now, only right? caught up <laughs> on five years ago maybe you know five <laughs> yeah. years later so not the, even yeah the, the big storytelling yeah. discussions and how how presentation can affect like what people read from a chart or not and th this was yeah was totally new Yeah, <laughs> it sounds crazy today, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, so shall we move on to the next one? Yeah, sure. Okay, next one is Kennedy Elliott from Washington Post. Hi, I'm Kennedy Elliott, and I'm going to talk about my favorite memory of Hans Rosling. My favorite memory of Hans Rosling is probably, like for many other people, the first time I saw his famous hologram video. When I saw it for the first time, I was just starting out in the news graphics space, and I was a new developer at the AP, and this is right around the same time that data visualization is getting really big in news graphics, and uh, everyone's trying to figure out how to negotiate large amounts of data and serve it on a browser. Um, and JavaScript is also starting to get really popular, and suddenly you have D3, and you have a, a ton of other tools for chart building, and you get very excited when you can render a chart or make a little object move across the screen with code. Um, but when I saw Hans's video, it really altered my sense of what I am supposed to do as a journalist and as, as a visual storyteller. And we've all seen the video, so we know what happens. But the most important part is that he is annotating the data. He gives us context to what we're seeing and tells us what we should be taking away from the story. He's extremely passionate and knowledgeable, and so he's a lot of fun to watch. But it's more than that. There are deliberate choices that he makes to the production of the video that were remarkable and unprecedented. Um, it's him behind the visualization, a real person, not a narration or an annotation. And he's throwing his body into his explanations, waving his hands over his head and crouching on the floor. He's almost got this whispery shout as he's talking. Uh, the background looks like this dark urban loft, not a polished, sterile studio. Perhaps the most interesting thing is that before he performs, the camera follows him up the stairs to the room instead of just starting the video off with him in the proper position. He even cuts to the camera crew, and this is all telling us that this is a story with humans behind it, not just a data set. 
the phrase humanizing the data is a concept that's so often talked about in news graphics that it's almost cliche. But this is the ultimate example of humanizing the visualization, not by changing the shape of the geometries on the screen to perhaps a silhouette of a person, but by putting a human into the storytelling itself. You see this video as a young practitioner and suddenly you have to rethink everything. The key you realize is not the code that you use, it's the, how the people want to take in the information. They want to be told a story. And that is a very tricky thing. It's hard to tell successful stories. It's a craft. And Hans got it right. I um, hope we can all remember what the old Gapminder site looked like. It was the kind of graphical database that we probably all created at some point. Um, and it was how people told data stories, um, you know, in 2010. <laughs> We'd create a database and give it some kind of minimal graphic interface and let the reader do all the work. Um, and this is obviously ineffectual and it's not really storytelling. Um, and the Gapminder site doesn't really does this pretty much. It's it's on its own. It's not really that remarkable. Um, it's uh, not only a database with a lot of hidden stories, but it's also a scatter plot, which we know is a very hard visualization for people to read. Uh, it's not just that, but it's a three variable scatter plot, which means that the size of the bubbles change and that only further obscures some of the trends. So the Gapminder database is not really any more notable than the next visual database. It's Hans that makes the difference. Uh, in fact, years later, when I was doing research for my OpenViz talk, I came across a study called Effectiveness of Animation and Trend Visualization. The researchers were intrigued by the notion of a lively speaker that Hans had created in his hologram video, and they studied the effectiveness of three graphical techniques that were similar but did not involve a lively speaker. Interestingly enough, the three graphical techniques that the researchers studied are widely being used today, and I think that that is precisely because we cannot give the same kind of treatment to our graphics as Hans did to his. Thank you. Yeah, Kennedy also talks about this idea of watching uh, hands for the first time and having to rethink everything. That's exactly the same, yeah, the same yeah. experience that almost everyone had. And I really like the fact that she liked the idea that the key is not the code and, uh, the idea of humanizing the data. I think in retrospect, looking at this thing today, it looks pretty obvious that there is a need for humanizing the data and many people are trying to do that. But back then that was totally, totally novel. Right. And um, yeah. And I also like the fact that Kennedy is, is mentioning this research work on uh, the role of animation in this. And um, yeah, even in terms of animation. So in the, on the research side, animation has always been considered uh, some kind of bad way of visualizing data and then Hans Rosling comes on stage and show us that actually animation can be a perfect tool to convey um, not only information but also emotions and a narrative and she's correct when she says that uh, it's been adopted in many many uh, other situations and, and conditions so thanks so much Kennedy and here's our final contribution from Alberto Cairo 
Hi, everyone. Well, first of all, thank you for letting me be part of this uh, initiative, uh, which is a, a tribute to Professor Hans Rosling. So I would like to say a few words about why I believe that his work is so relevant and so important for what we do nowadays when it comes to data visualization and data communication in general and spreading the word among the general public about how important it is to good, use evidence to uh, run better lives. I, I think that the only thing that you need to do to understand how uh, how an impact uh, Professor Rosling made uh, in the world uh, is to take a look at some of his lectures, particularly the one that he made at the TED conferences, I believe, back in 2006, which is the one that I also believe that made him a worldwide um, celebrity. There are several things that we can learn from that lecture. The first one is, I believe, that... Um, when you are presenting important information to people, particularly data that usually looks cold and faceless to the general public, you need to show your own enthusiasm about the data that you're presenting. And that's something that he did really, really well. I mean, he jumped around the stage. He showed you know, his, his emotions about what the data, the stories, the data that it was revealing, etc. When I interviewed him for my first book, uh, he told me that uh, to, to get inspiration for his talks, he imagined that he was not presenting the data to a, an audience made of, of academics, but he imagined that he was broadcasting a soccer game. And you can notice that inspiration in, in his lectures. And then we can also learn... Uh, about uh, from Professor Rosling how important it is to, particularly in these times that we are living through, how important it is to stick to a facts-based uh, worldview and how important it is to spread the word uh, to the general public about how relevant and how important it is to them to consider facts and consider evidence and learn how to reason logically and scientifically in all areas of a, of life, just to run better lives. And uh, so that's basically it. I think that Hans Rosling's uh, passing is a great loss for our community, data, data visualization, but also data journalism, data communication, but it's also a great loss for a, the world in general. So Alberto was our final contributor. So I want to conclude this part by saying a big thank you to all of these Viz experts who agreed on uh, recording a snippet uh, for, for the show. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, that's uh, highly appreciated. So, well, that's, that's our tribute to Hans Rosling. We thought it would be nice to have a few people just uh, record uh, a few words on uh, his uh, impact and legacy and try to make it personal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just such an amazing guy. And yeah, as you say, let's hope there's, there's a lot more like him in the future. And uh, I'm sure he, I know he did have a big impact and he, he caused a lot of good things to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say that, as I said at the beginning, uh, 
I mean, that's clearly a sad episode in the sense that, I mean, we are talking about his death and I, I'm still very mm. deeply saddened by his death. But once again, um, I think we also have to be happy that this man lived and, uh, and he also had not only a big impact, but such a positive, positive attitude and message. And I really want to stress that having a positive attitude and a positive message is such a powerful thing, such a powerful yeah. thing. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think we we can end with his. Uh, uh, so he produced <laughs> a, a TV show together with the uh, BBC, and this one's amazing. <laughs> that, you have that to was watch it as well. <laughs> yeah. It's called the Joy of Stats, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll play a short snippet, and uh, yeah, then you should watch all his talks. Maybe do a long night of Hans Rosling talks <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, in his uh, honor. Yeah. So, thank you, Hans. Thank you, Hans Rosling. And uh, we are out. Visualization is right at the heart of my own work, too. I teach global health. And I know having the data is not enough. I have to show it in ways people both enjoy and understand. Now, I'm going to try something I've never done before. Animating the data in real space with a bit of technical assistance from the crew. So, here we go. First, an axis for health. Life expectancy, from 25 years to 75 years. And down here, an axis for wealth. Income per person, 400, 4,000, and $40,000. So, down here is poor and sick, and up here is rich and healthy. Now, I'm going to show you the world 200 years ago, in 1810. Here come all the countries. Europe brown, Asia red, Middle East green, Africa south of Sahara blue, and the Americas yellow. And the size of the country bubble showed the size of the population. And in 1810, it was pretty crowded down there, wasn't it? All countries were sick and poor. Life expectancy were below 40 in all countries. And only UK and the Netherlands were slightly better off, but not much. And now, why start the world? The Industrial Revolution makes countries in Europe and elsewhere move away from the rest. But the colonized countries in Asia and Africa, they are stuck down there. And eventually, the Western countries get healthier and healthier. And now, we slow down to show the impact of the First World War and the Spanish flu epidemic. What a catastrophe! And now I speed up through the 1920s and the 1930s, and in spite of the Great Depression, Western countries forge on towards greater wealth and health. Japan and some others try to follow, but most countries stay down here. Now, after the tragedies of the Second World War, we stop a bit to look at the world in 1948. 1948 was a great year. The war was over, Sweden topped the medal table at the Winter Olympics, and I was born. But the differences between the countries of the world was wider than ever. United States was in the front, Japan was catching up, Brazil was way behind, Iran was getting a little richer from oil, but still had short lives. And the Asian giants, China, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh and Indonesia, they were still poor and sick down here. But look what is about to happen. Here we go again. 
In my lifetime, former colonies gained independence and then finally they started to get healthier and healthier and healthier. And in the 1970s, then countries in Asia and Latin America started to catch up with the Western countries. They became the emerging economies. Some in Africa follows. Some Africans were stuck in civil war and others hit by HIV. And now we can see the world today in the most up-to-date statistics. Most people today live in the middle, but there are huge differences at the same time between the best of countries and the worst of countries. And there are also huge inequalities within countries. These bubbles show country averages, but I can split them. Take China, I can split it into provinces. There goes Shanghai. It has the same wealth and health as Italy today. And there is the poor inland province Guizhou, it is like Pakistan. And if I split it further, the rural parts are like Ghana in Africa. And yet, despite the enormous disparities today, we have seen 200 years of remarkable progress. That huge historical gap between the West and the rest is now closing. We have become an entirely new converging world. And I see a clear trend into the future with aid, trade, green technology and peace it's fully possible that everyone can make it to the healthy, wealthy corner. Well, what you have seen in the last few minutes is a story of 200 countries shown over 200 years and beyond. It involved plotting of 120,000 numbers. Pretty neat, huh? Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, here are a few ways you can support the show and get in touch with us. First, we have a page on Patreon where you can contribute an amount of your choosing per episode. As you can imagine, we have some costs for running the show and we would love to make it a community-driven project. You can find the page at patreon.com slash datastories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. Just search us in iTunes Store or follow the link in our website. And we also want to give you some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories, but we also have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash datastoriespodcast, and we also have a newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox, go to our homepage, datastories, and look for the link that you find in the footer. And finally, you can also chat directly with us and other listeners using Slack. Again, you can find a button to sign up at the bottom of our page. And we do love to get in touch with our listeners. So if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know amazing people you want us to invite or projects you want us to talk about, let us know. That's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.